hump day i mean wednesday what's up everybody welcome back to wednesday's edition of murph's boston sports talk i am your host james murphy aka murph and hopefully you survived the thunderstorm the rainstorm or whatever we were having if you did receive such here in the new england area if you're outside of the new england area and you received no rainstorm and just sunshines well congratulations i envy you In this episode, we do have a lot of stuff to go over, a lot of Red Sox to discuss. I also want to touch upon the Wander Franco debut that he had, a fantastic performance last night in his first ever Major League Baseball game for the Tampa Bay Rays, and just kind of break that game down because he is baseball's number one prospect. So I just kind of want to talk about that, what we saw from him, and maybe what we can see potentially out of Jaron Duran, the Red Sox number one prospect if he and when he gets the call up, hopefully sooner than later. I want to break down last night's game as well because there are a couple things that I want to point out in this game, and I really think it it is very uh, noteworthy for us to consider as the season keeps progressing and the season matures as we get further and further into the summer. Additionally, we have to talk Boston Bruins, obviously. Now, I know there's not much going on right now for the black and gold. However, the expansion draft is just under a month away. Um, let me, I had the exact, I think July 31st or 21st, excuse me. Yes, it is July 21st, 2021. That is when the Seattle Kraken will be picking players from all the teams in the NHL with the exception of the Vegas Golden Knights. So 30 out of 31 teams will be exposed to Seattle for the expansion draft. The reason why Vegas Golden Knights are not in this expansion draft and that they are exempt from this year's draft is because they are recently a new team. They're only four years old or whatever it may be. So to keep the balance of fairness fair, right? They will be exempt from this draft, although they're one of the best teams in the National Hockey League for just being four years old. However, we'll get more into that later on in this episode. Before we go any further, I do have some upsetting, upsetting, sad news in regards to the podcast, in regards to Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And this pains me, this pains me to say this is that effective immediately, Murph's Boston Sports Talk will only be airing on Mondays and Fridays. So today is the last hump day, I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk for a couple reasons. One, it's just the Red Sox right now going on. The Patriots minicamp is over. Preseason will be on the horizon soon. Celtics season just ended. Not much is going on there. And the Bruins, their season is also over, and there's not much going on there right now with the exception of the expansion draft, free agency, and such. So there are conversations to be had. However, is it enough to warrant three episodes a week? Now, I don't want to drag discussions and conversation and drag topics revolving around Boston sports or only have short episodes like 30, 35 minute episodes. So I kind of want to put more quality into my quantity. So I'd rather have a more, a higher quality episode on Mondays and Fridays than to have a lesser quality episode and have more of a quantity 
on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I'm hoping that this schedule change is for the better. I strongly believe that it will be having a conversation on Monday, recapping the weekend such as Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then having Friday's episode where I can recap stuff, topics, whatever, from the duration of the week from Monday all the way to Thursday. So I'm really excited for it. I really think it's going to be for the better. And not just because of the whole, you know, it's a lull right now in not just Boston sports, but just in sports in general, because baseball is the only thing going on. But just because, you know, I am starting to push forward at a very fast pace with Murph's Car Town and Sports Shop. And I do not want to take away from the podcast. However, I also need to put my mind to the car shop as well. So in order to do both of them at the highest of levels that I can, the podcast giving you that higher quality and also getting the card shop up and running and preparing for when I open the doors, I also need to keep that in mind as well. So for those two reasons, that is why Effective Immediately Murph's Boston Sports Talk will only be airing on Mondays and Fridays every single week. So expect two episodes every single week, and I really hope that this new update to the podcast is taken favorably. I've been in some deep conversations with not just Kim, but some other podcasters as well and fans, listeners, just to get their opinion on it. Because if they were really dead against it, I would have stuck with Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But they agree with me with my with my ideation that Monday and Friday would be best for all scenarios. So thank you so much for downloading, listening and enjoying every single hump day I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. This is unfortunately the last one, but we are going to go out with an absolute banger. So with that out of the way, let's dive into the Red Sox. Because after their win last night, 9-5 to in extra innings, it took them 11 innings to win, I still have my concern with this team. Now, obviously, this game is a massive game for them. It's also a ma- well, series, I should say that this series is massive for the Red Sox, and it's also massive for the the Tampa Bay Rays as well because going into this game, going into this series, half a game separated them. Red Sox were on top. Rays were in second place by half a game. So obviously the win last night puts the Red Sox up one and a half games on the Rays. However, 9-5 to seems like a nice win, right? Extra innings, it is what it is. But you're winning by four runs in extra innings, So obviously you exploded in one inning, that being the 11th inning. But how about the rest of the game? How about the rest of the game? Besides the 11th inning where they scored four runs, they scored five runs throughout the entirety of the game, the first 10 innings. And all five of those runs were scored in the third inning. All five of their runs that they did not score in the 11th inning were all scored in the third inning. Now that's fantastic that they were able to explode in an inning, get five runs, you know, regain the lead. However, if you look at a bigger picture than that, you can see that through nine innings of this game, they were scoreless. They had the one five inning, the one five run third inning, and they had the one four run 11th inning. So for nine out of the 11 innings, they were scoreless. That is concerning to me. That is very concerning. You're, you score, uh, you hit 11 hits 
That was like a tongue twister for me for a second. You get 11 hits in 11 innings, so one hit per inning. I mean, I guess you'll take it, right? You'd rather have 11 hits in 11 innings than have five hits in 11 innings, right? But it's I just don't think that this win is all that impressive. I think what's more impressive is the pitching. And Eduardo Rodriguez went six innings, gave up three earned, two of them unearned, and then the bullpen was nails. The bullpen was absolute nails. Josh Taylor, inning, nothing. Adam Ottavino, inning, nothing. Matt Barnes, inning, nothing. Um, Sawamora, two-thirds of an inning, nothing. And Darwins and Hernandez, inning and a third with nothing given up. I really, I like, I'm so iffy on the bullpen. They have a great couple of games, and then they suck for a couple of games. And I get it. It's a long season. It's going to happen. Every bullpen goes through these stretches. But I think this is very impressive, especially against the Rays team, who's been very, very good just about all season long. And to shut them out for one, two, three, four, five innings. That's really impressive. That's really, really impressive. But like I said, is this something sustainable? And I don't think so. I don't think so, especially with Major League Baseball cracking down on the whole foreign, foreign sticky substance with pitchers, you know, a lot of fingers are pointing to the Red Sox and their pitching staff of being culprits of this, which I will not go into. I will not go into. But it's like I like I mentioned a couple episodes ago. I love the timing that base Major League Baseball is cracking down on this in the middle of the season because you will have two large, almost even sample sizes where you can see the pitching performance and the hitting performance based off of the league allowing this sticky substance and foreign substance. And then you'll have another half where the league does not allow it. I know a lot of people are enraged that they should have done this in the beginning of the season or they should have waited to the offseason to do this. And I think there's a time and a place for that, yes. But when the integrity of the league is at stake, then I think this is something that needs to be taken action right away. I don't think that this is something that should be waited for the offseason to be dealt with because by then, a full season of this foreign sticky substance being allowed is a huge blow to the integrity of this game because you know that there's going to be people in the offseason or throughout the season in general saying, oh, well, he's only good because he's using spider tack or that team only won and beat that team because they had sticky stuff on their hands. Just eliminate that conversation and just ban it. But I'm going on an absolute tangent here. I need to get back to the Red Sox. So, (laughs) anyways, the Red Sox. Danny Santana leading off one for four. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? Alex Verdugo, one for three. He had two walks. Martinez, one for five. Connor Wong. Yes, uh, Connor Wong pinch ran for J.D. Martinez in extra innings. I believe it was the top of the... I'm not exactly sure, the 10th or the 11th. He pinch ran for him in extra innings, getting his major league debut, replacing the injured catcher Kevin Ploiecki on the active roster. So we finally get to see Connor Wong. Hopefully he will get a start relatively soon, just so we can see what he has. I would assume he will get a start against the Braves or maybe one of those, like the first game against the Yankees. Because obviously you need to, you know, ro- you know, Rotate your catches every now and then. And you want to see what you have in this guy. He was one of the pieces that you received in return from the Mookie Betts trade. 
Alex Verdugo has been working out very, very well for us so far. Jeter Downs has a lot of potential at shortstop and at second base, more likely to be a second baseman when he's finally up here because of Bogarts, and a lot of great praise from him down in Portland. However, Connor Wong, you know, he's 23, I believe, 22, 23, so he's a little older, and he's a catcher, so we got to see what he has behind the plate because Christian Vasquez's contract, I believe, is up at the end of this year, and I do think that the Red Sox will re-sign him. But having a nice young backup catcher in Connor Wong, especially one who's been claimed to have been able to hit the ball very well, would be a great, great compliment to Christian Vasquez, who's more of a defensive-orientated catcher, although the past couple years his hitting has significantly improved. So it's nice to finally see Connor Wong up here on the big club, and I look forward to his first career start. Xander Bogarts, 3 for 5, killing it, of course. Rafael Devers, 2 for 4, killing it as well. Hunter Renfro, 2 for 5. Vasquez, 0 for 5. Enrique Hernandez, 1 for 3. And Bobby Dahlbeck, 0 for 5. I still believe that we should just ride the wave with Bobby Dahlbeck. Just keep getting him plate appearances, keep getting him experience, and keep putting him in the lineup. I think eventually he will come and blossom. However, you just kind of have to wait the storm out. You know that the power is there. You know the pop is there. And his defense has been rel- relatively good over at first base. He's a third baseman by trait. However, we are training him to be a first baseman. And I think his defense has been very well. Obviously, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at him saying that he needs to improve or he shouldn't be a first baseman because he doesn't warrant that. So I do think the hitting will come if he gets injured. Obviously, you bring him down to AAA, let him rehab a little bit, and maybe keep him down there on an extended stay while you have Michael Chavis up here or something to replace him. However, who else are you going to put there? I mean, seriously, you do have Michael Chavis who you could put there. Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana, I mean, come on. Let's be, like, seriously, who are we going to put there? So, might as well just keep him there, ride the wave, and hope for the best and that he officially develops. But, you know, now that we're into almost three full months of the season, the fact that he's still very, very, uh, his performance is very, very lackluster thus far is concerning. 214 batting average is tough to, to like, you know, look at. But nine home runs, 32 RBIs. I think that itself right there is really solid. But like I said, the 214 average, you know, would like to see it. I would be content with 40 points higher. I really would be. I would be content with 40 points higher if we could get it up there. But I do want to come back and circle back to the point that the Red Sox offense is inconsistent. It really is. Danny Santana, again, another bad performance. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, who I just talked about, bad performance. Enrique Hernandez going one for three. Sure, but relatively he's been inconsistent. Vasquez, 0 for 5. Maybe Connor Wong. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, J.D. Martinez, 1 for 5. You're not taking him out. <sighs> we need another left-handed bat in this lineup. And I'm not going to sit here and preach to you again to bring up Jaron Duran. But speaking of Jaron Duran, I do want to talk about Wander Franco and the Rays top prospect and Major League Baseball's top prospect, who Wander Franco is a shortstop, got the start at third base tonight, or last night I should say, went two for four with two runs, a walk, a home run, and three RBIs. Absolute stud performance. Anybody and everybody with this rookie card 
that value just skyrocketed it. So make sure it is graded or make sure you hold on to it because him being proclaimed as a fantastic hitter for his age is only going to go up. His defense is smooth. He's a switch hitter. Very versatile kid, obviously being shortstop playing third base. I liked what I saw from him. You know, he took a down, I don't know, I think it was a changeup down and in, and Wander Franco just, you know, kind of hooked it to the um, left field foul pole. Just kind of, it wasn't obviously didn't hit it, but it just snuck right in there off of Eduardo Rodriguez in the fifth inning to tie the game at that point. The kid's good. The kid's good. You know, if he has a lot of good success here at the big leagues over the series and then the next couple weeks for the Rays, he will never go back down. He will not go back down to the minus, let me tell you that. And I think that does give you some promise for Jaron Duran. Obviously, they're completely different players. They're ranked completely different. Obviously, Franco being number one. And I'm not exactly sure where Jaron Duran is in all baseball. However, however, if you see the Rays' top prospect balling out, then why don't you give your top prospect a chance, especially when you could use it, especially where Danny Santana is underperforming. Enrique Hernandez is relatively underperforming. And I have the stats that I talked about last time where, you know, Hunter Renfro, Michael Chavis, J.D. Martinez, Kike Hernandez, Danny Santana, Marwin Gonzalez, Alex Verdugo, and Franchi Cordero, who have all played the outfield for the Red Sox, are hitting a combined three, uh, 232, excuse me, 232 combined between those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight outfielders that the Red Sox have seen this year. I don't think I don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibility for Jaron Duran to potentially be up before September. I certainly would love him to be up before September, but let's like just think about it. Let's just sit and think about it. Unless the Red Sox sustain an injury right now, maybe like a long term injury to one of their outfielders, I don't see the Red Sox wasting an option on him just to come up for like a couple weeks or so. I mean, I think that they should because you give the kid a week or two to play up here, see what he can do. Then he can go into the minor leagues, make those adjustments for the next time he gets called up, like what I talked about, like what Cordero's probably doing right now. I I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather them go out and get a veteran left-handed bat in the lineup who can hit for good contact like a Michael Brantley kind of player, but I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think that they're going to do it, and they could not do it because they want to wait for gender to more fully develop, and then they can call him up for one time, and that's it. We're just going to have to wait and see with the Red Sox and Jaron Duran because their offense, their lineup, relative, desperately, desperately needs a left-handed bat, a kid with some pop, and someone who is, I guess, a five-tool player. I mean, he has all the makings to be a 5 tool player. The contact is there. The power is there. The speed is obviously there. The glove is growing. I mean, he's a second baseman, but he is working in the outfield. So the glove will come, hopefully. And the arm, from what I've heard, is pretty solid. So three-and-a-half-tool player, maybe? We'll just have to wait and see. But I don't know. I think the Red Sox should call him up the next opportunity that they can for an injury to the outfield. I really do. Or just an injury in general because you do have the versatile players on your team. Enrique Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana. So you do have some flexibility there. Say, knock on wood, Xander Bogarts gets injured, right? You can put Hernandez, you can put Gonzalez over at shortstop. And then that spot, who what would be taken in the outfield, 
can go to Jaron Duran. Makes sense? Oh, Red Sox, though, big series against the Rays. It was nice for them to win the first one, obviously. Second one, 7-10 tonight at the Tropicana Field. Game three tomorrow, 7-10 start at Tropicana Field, of course. And then a big three-game weekend series against the Yankees as the Yankees come into town for the first time this year, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I said on Monday, Red Sox hopefully can win five out of six games this week and weekend, being against you know division rivals who are breathing down their neck in the division standing, specifically the Rays, and you do not want to allow or give the Yankees any momentum at all, not just against you, but in general, because with that lineup, they can get hot, and you don't want them to get hot because you want to shovel them down into the dirt and push them, push them, and push them into the pit of misery. But with that dark darkness out of the way and my Red Sox segment wrapping up, I did I did preface this. Boston Bruins, not a lot going on right now, but they do have a big, big, big decisions to make or several big decisions to make, right? Depending on the option that they go with. And when I refer to decisions and options, I mean the expansion draft, the 2021 NHL expansion draft is July 21st and the Seattle Kraken will be taking a player from every single team in the league with the exception of the Vegas Golden Knights. And I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the episode and that is because they are a new team in the league. They are a relatively new team. They're still growing their foundation and their base. However, I think it's a little unfair that the Vegas Golden Knights are exempt from the draft because they are so good. They are one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, and they have been since their inception back in 2017. Let's just look. Uh, Let's see. This year, they finished second with 82 points in their division. Last year, they finished. Oh, goodness. They finished first with 86 points in their division. The year before that, in 2018-2019, Oh, I hate when it switches. Uh, they finished third with 93 points. Yeah, the Calgary Flames had 107 and the Sharks had 101. And their inaugural season in 2017-2018, the Vegas Golden Knights had 109 points. And in that season, we saw them breaking several, several records across sports for an expansion team. Baseball, basketball, hockey, and football expansion uh Records were all broken. Team to like win the most games slash points to go, you know, win a playoff series to go the furthest in the playoffs. They made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in year one. In year one, and they lost. Who did they lose to? Uh, 2018 Stanley. I forget who they won. Who did they? Who did they lose? Was it the Capitals? It was the Capitals. That's right, because Ovechkin got his uh, first ring or his first championship, whatever, that year. So they're a good team. They're a very good team, and this year they're in the uh, the semifinals or the yeah the semifinals of the NHL pl- Stanley Cup playoffs this year, and they're currently down three games to two against the Montreal Canadiens. So I don't know, but I mean making the playoffs basically every single year that they've been in the league these first four years that's really solid, but this is very unprecedented because. Oftentimes, expansion teams don't have this kind of performance or performance, this kind of success 
early on in their, you know, in their life, right? I talked about this episodes ago, weeks ago, months ago about Major League Baseball needing expansions, uh, expansion teams, and that they wouldn't suck right away, that they wouldn't suck. And I looked up all the expansion teams that we've seen in comparison to teams that did not expand before the expansion era in 1961, and that all the teams that have expanded from 1961 on, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was relatively close. The teams that have expanded past 1961, what is just known as the expansion era, have a very, very similar winning percentage to a handful of teams that have not been a part of the expansion era. It was like four or five or so teams that have been in baseball for years and decades and almost, I mean, basically 100 years at this point. Whatever those teams' winning percentage is, is less or equal or around the combined winning percentage of all the teams that have expanded in the expansion era for Major League Baseball. And the Vegas Golden Knights, going back to hockey, broke all of that. For I, I mean, I only covered baseball, but there's obviously basketball, hockey beforehand, and obviously football as well to be discussed. But just constantly, 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 you were seeing Vegas Golden Knights on track for this, breaking this record, having the most wins, having the most points, going this far in the playoff, winning a playoff game, winning a playoff series, going this far in the playoffs, and then eventually losing in the Stanley Cup Finals. But they're fantastic teams for just a team that's been in the league for four years. So they've made the playoffs every single year, and I think it's a little unfair that they uh, are exempt from this draft. But you know what? It is what it is, and a team that is not exempt from the draft is the Boston Bruins. And obviously our beloved Boston Bruins have tough, difficult decisions to be made this year, or I guess in the coming weeks. I would hope that these decisions are already being made as we speak so they can prepare in terms of free agency, potential trades, and whatnot. And every team, obviously with the exception of the Vegas Golden Knights, every team in hockey has two options for protecting their players for the expansion draft. Yes, teams can protect their players. And every team has these two options. They can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender. Or they can choose to protect eight skaters, so a combination of forwards and defensemen, and a goaltender. So depending on what on the route that a team wants to go with, in total they can protect 10 skaters if they choose the first option, which is seven forwards and three defensemen, and then obviously a goaltender, or they can only protect eight skaters between forwards and defensemen and a goaltender. A goaltender is a staple. You have to protect a goaltender. So yes, every team has those two options. Has to, option one is seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender. Option two is eight skaters consisting of forwards and defensemen and a goaltender. There are some exceptions for players. There are some exceptions for players. And those exceptions are obviously no movement clauses. So when signing contracts, players may want a no movement clause into that contract, which I will go into for some Bruins players. And for players that have no movement clauses, have to be protected so a team say the Bruins and I'll just use Bergeron for an example because he has a no movement clause the Bruins absolutely have to protect Patrice Bergeron even if they didn't want to because he has a no movement clause in his contract if he didn't have that clause 
then the Bruins could choose not to protect him and expose him to the expansion draft. Or they could still just protect him just like an ordinary player. But since he has that no movement clause in his contract, he cannot be part of the expansion draft, forcing the Bruins to protect him whether or not they want to. Obviously, it's Patrice Bergeron, and they're going to want to. Also, players within the first year or two of you know their NHL career are not required to be protected. They're too young. They don't have enough experience. It is just unfair because you may have an up-and-coming prospect, got a good quick little look at him. You're not. It's just unfair to protect someone like that. And also, a player like that doesn't help bode well in terms of tipping the balance of fairness for the Seattle Kraken. So, for example, uh, Jeremy Swayman made his debut this past year. He does not have to be protected, although the Bruins need to protect a goalie, and it probably would be Jeremy Swayman. They are not obligated to, or they do not have to protect him because he has less than or equal to one or two years in the NHL. So he is exempt from the list. And the last player exemption are unrestricted free agents. Teams that have unrestricted free agents do not have to protect those players. So for the Bruins example, David Krejci, Taylor Hall, Sean Corrali, they do not have to be on the Bruins protected list because they are impending unrestricted free agents. So for example, the Kraken go select uh, Taylor Hall they don't come to an agreement on a contract and then Taylor Hall goes signs elsewhere. Well, now the Seattle Kraken just wasted that pick on Taylor Hall where they could have selected someone else from the Bruins roster. Just doesn't make sense. So a restricted free agent can be picked from any team by the Kraken or a player that has existing years left on their contract would also be able to be picked. All right, with that out of the way, I have prepared two separate lists for the Bruins to endeavor if they were to choose one option or the other. So the first option I'm going to go over is the pure eight skater list. Obviously the goalie. In this case, the goalie is going to be um, Dan Vladar. In both lists, he's going to be he's going to be protected. Dan Vladar. I really think the Bruins like him. He has a lot of potential. If it wasn't for Swayman, he would probably be the starter. However. You have Swayman, you have Vladar. Two young goalies would go hand-in-hand. Obviously, uh, Yaroslav Halak and both Tuka Rask are unrestricted free agents. So, might as well just protect Daniel Vladar. Eight skaters for the Bruins. Here it goes. Patrice Bergeron, forward. David Pasternak, forward. Brad Marchand, forward. Uh, Charlie Coyle, forward. Charlie McAvoy, defenseman. Mac Rizlik, defenseman. Brandon Carlo, defenseman. Connor Clifton, defenseman. Now, the reason why I chose Bergeron, Pasta, Marchand, and Coyle is because I was forced. Remember what I was talking about, the no-movement clause? Well, all four of those players have a no-movement clause. So, by default, the Bruins will have to protect Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, and Charlie Coyle, no matter which option they choose. So in this list, I have Bergeron, Pasta, Marchand, Coyle, McAvoy, Grizzly, Carlo, and Clifton. Those are the players that I have the Bruins protecting. Now, you could be wondering, why did I pick Connor Clifton? Well, 
if the Bruins were to pick the eight skaters and goalie option, the only reason why they would do that is to protect a fourth defenseman. Because in the second option of seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, they only need to protect, well, they only can protect three defensemen. However, if they were to pick the uh, eight skater option, they would be able to choose at least four four defensemen if they wish. And looking at the defenseman list, Charlie Coyle, Matt Grizzlick, and Brandon Carlo are going to be shoo-ins. They're going to be shoo-ins. So the only other options are Connor Clifton, Jeremy Lozon, uh, yeah, because everyone else is unrestricted. Oh, uh, Jacob Zaboral are also options. And Stephen Camper, Kevin Miller, Jared Tenorti, and Mike Riley are all unrestricted free agents, so they are obviously exempt. You could put, you could replace Connor Clifton with Jeremy Lozon if you wish. And if the Bruins do not select the eight skaters and goalie option, exposing both Jeremy Lozon and Connor Clifton, I could very, very, very much see the Seattle Kraken taking one of those two guys. I would probably put my money on Jeremy Lozon, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Connor Clifton. They both bring good things to the table. Jeremy Lozon is a little bit younger. He has uh, less playing time, uh, or I should say less experience in this league. So that may be why Connor Clifton's more attractive. However, Jeremy Lozon was more of a starter and a staple in the Bruins lineup than Connor Clifton was this past year. It could be either or. I just put Connor Clifton down just to put somebody down, but it could be either or Clifton or Lozon if the Bruins choose the eight skater option. If the Bruins were to choose the seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie option, which I believe is the path that they will go, this is who I believe they will protect. Obviously, Daniel Vladar, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, and Charlie Coyle are the four plays that they have to protect due to the no-movement clause. I believe that they will additionally protect, for the last three forwards, Craig Smith, Trent Frederick, Jake DeBrusque. Now, before I go into the defensemen, actually, I'll just do it now because it's quite obvious. Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlo. Simple, right? Why did I pick... Trent Frederick, Craig Smith, and Jake DeBrusque. Well, let me just start with Craig Smith. He had a fantastic season this past year, being a solid, actually a really good right winger for David Krejci on that line. He has two more years left on his contract. He's only 31 years old. And regardless what you do with David Krejci this offseason, having Craig Smith on that right side, just solidifying that position, which has eluded you for almost a decade now, is a nice safety net because you're not going to have to worry about it again. Why did I pick Trent Frederick? Well, this is a player that is young, up and coming. He has a lot of potential, and I think he hasn't reached that potential yet. This would be a great player for the Seattle Kraken to salivate on because Trent Frederick could be a part of that their young core moving forward as well because obviously they're going to be picking a lot of veterans, a lot of maybe unproven guys. However, they're going to want to try to take some younger players as well to kind of build a core up for a couple years down the road because I don't know how much they're anticipating on being competitive or good next year in the 21-22 season. I mean, what the Vegas Golden Knights did is very unprecedented and unheard of, but they cannot expect that in year one. So having a core of Trent Frederick and other young stars that they pick and choose from other teams would be highly beneficial for them to breed and groom for 
next year, the year after, and years ahead as the Seattle Kraken's team, philosophy, chemistry, and existence just grows and matures. So I think that's why that the Bruins should protect Trent Frederick because for all those reasons that I mentioned why the Seattle Kraken would love him and why the Bruins should protect him, I think he'd be a great piece and great fit here in Boston moving forward, being a part of that young core, that young group, that next generation of Bruins stars moving forward. He's a uh, center, left winger as well, and I think maybe him on the third line would be very nice come next year. Obviously, depending what you do with Krejci, Hall, uh, Richie, Kashe, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do, but I think Trent Frederick should be a staple in the Bruins lineup next year because he's his age, he's going to be relatively inexpensive, and also uh, the potential that he has. Why did I choose to protect Jake DeBrusque here? Well, he had a very nice season this year. He's still young. He's only 24. He has one more year left, year left on his contract. And I really think that Jake DeBrusque just hit a huge, huge, huge wall when it came to the playoffs. He scored two goals in the first two games of the Capital Series, I believe, if I remember correctly. And he has really... he. I think he scored like 30 goals one year, if I remember correctly. So the talent is there. The potential is there. And we've seen it. We've seen it in little bits, little chunks here and there. We've seen it. Uh, Goals. Goals. He scored 16 in his first season, 27 last year or two years ago, 19 the year before that, and nine or five, excuse me, this past year. So he has the potential to be a 30-goal scorer, scoring 27 just three years ago and if the Bruins do want to move on from him then I feel like they would rather trade him and the only way that they can do that is if they protect him and then trade him so instead of getting nothing for him might as well protect him and then try to trade him for either another player players draft picks combination whatever it may be now obviously the Bruins just want to get rid of him that's fine but who else could we see the Bruins protect in his spot as well, which I would disagree with, but a conversation is to be had nonetheless. Players like Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha, uh, Trent Frederick, or, which I just mentioned, if they choose not to protect him. You could also look at a player like Carson Kuhlman, Curtis Lazar, um, Chris Wagner. These are players that are you know, going to be exposed to the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft. So if not Jake DeBrus, because they don't value a potential trade, of him as much as they value protecting somebody then I strongly believe that they would I hate saying this but it would probably be Nick Ritchie that they would protect he had a very good year this past year he kind of stunk in the playoffs he was slow and he didn't really do much in the Islander series he was supposed to be that you know rough guy that tough guy and he kind of was don't get me wrong and he was that guy in the Capitals series as well but is that really worth protecting someone over I mean, I feel like you can find that kind of guy in the streets just about anywhere. And Andre Kasha, who's only 25, who you got from the Sharks last year's deadline, just hasn't been healthy. And when he has been healthy, you've been able to see, uh, be able to see glimpses of that skill and of that potential. And exposing someone like Andre Kasha to the Seattle Kraken, almost the same philosophy and mindset as uh, Trent Frederick being exposed as well. So it's going to be a very difficult decision for them to make. The Bruins, 
I strongly believe they will go with the seven forwards and three defensemen and goalie um, option here. Obviously, not being able to protect four defensemen with the eight skater option is going to be difficult, but the Seattle Kraken can only take one player from them. And if they go with the defensive route, you will still have Connor Clifton. You will still have uh, Jeremy Lozon. You will still have Jacob Zaborl or one, one of those guys still on your roster if the Kraken take a defenseman. If they take a forward, it's just going to be depends on who you protect and you know how you value these players. Curtis Lazar would be a nice little uh, player for them, being a tough fourth liner as well for the Kraken. Chris Wagner being a fourth line guy as well could be very attractive for them. But it also depends on the mindset, the philosophy, and the strategy that the Seattle Kraken want to go in with the expansion draft and what other players that they take throughout the draft as well. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Kraken develop and draft their team through the expansion draft and what players they take where because if they take a couple forwards, you know, up before you, then you're more likely to lose a defenseman and vice versa if they take a few defensemen before you, they're more likely to take a forward off of you. So there's so many variables in place in terms of who the Bruins should protect, who the Kraken are going to take, and what players could be lost, regardless if you, um, regardless of the players that you think or want to go. It's just going to be a completely, oh, goodness. It's giving me a headache just thinking about it, to be honest. Holy smokes, it's giving me a headache just thinking about it. And before we wrap up this conversation, let's just look back at the 2017 expansion draft where we saw the Vegas Golden Knights select Colin Miller, defenseman, and he's not even with the team anymore. Who he's with the yeah, the island the Islanders? Who's he with now? Um, Sabers. Okay, yeah. I don't know why I said um, Islanders, but I know it was in New York somewhere. So, yeah, so he's not even with the Vegas Golden Knights anymore. He's with the Sabers actually. But yes, Colin Miller, defenseman, was taken off of your roster back in 2017. And the players, obviously the roster are, is completely different now than it once was. These are the players that the Bruins chose to protect in that year's expansion draft. So they chose the seven forwards, three defensemen, and goalie option that year, protecting Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Riley Nash, Ryan Spooner, and David Backus. For defensemen, they chose Dan Chara, Tori Krug, and Kevin Miller, Obviously, their goalie being Tuka Rask. So that is who the Bruins chose to protect in that year's expansion draft. Obviously, the roster and team is completely different now than it was then. And I see, and I really do think that the Bruins will choose the seven forwards, three defensemen, and goalie option this year as well. I just think protecting a fourth defenseman isn't worth losing two player two forwards to protect because you can protect a total of 10 players if you choose the seven and three option and you can only protect eight players if you choose the eight skater and goalie option so is a fourth defenseman really worth protecting and losing the two extra forward protection slots I don't think so I really don't because at the end of the day the uh you will still have like I said you will still have Connor Clifton or Jeremy Lozon, or Jacob Zaborl on your roster come next year post-expansion draft. And maybe they don't even pick one of them. But I, I highly 
believe that the Seattle Kraken will at least pick one of them. So I just don't think it's worth protecting one, exposing the other, and then losing the two other forwards that you could protect if you chose the seven and three option. But that is going to do it for today's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it pains me and it brings me uh, very, very much depression and sadness and unfortunate, unfortunacy knowing that today is the last hump day, I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying every single week for today's episode slot. But effectively, immediately moving forward, we will only be airing on Monday and Friday for the reasons that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So I really appreciate all the love and support from every single one of you. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you can support the decision, this tough decision that I made. And I think it's the best interest for the podcast, Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But guys, folks, ladies, girls, gentlemen, women, men, bananas, whatever you want to be. Reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. If you're watching this on YouTube, comment down below. I want to hear your thoughts, opinions, concerns, questions, whatever it may be in regards to what we talked about today. I want to have a conversation, a debate, an argument, or simply a chatter, right? (laughs) But that's going to do it for today's episode. Please download, listen, and enjoy as always on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, Uh, music as well as on YouTube. Please like the video if you're watching on YouTube and you enjoyed it. Subscribe if you're new or haven't considered subscribing yet. And also, like I mentioned, please comment down below. That is going to do it for today's hump day. I mean, Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I will see you on Friday. Hopefully you enjoy the beautiful weather that we will hopefully be having, which I believe we'll be having between now and then. Let me check the weather real quick. Um... Yeah, it's going to be mid-70s today, upper 70s tomorrow, and then a little bit of rain on Friday for Friday's episode. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and you know that I will always, always see you. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.